We have been, during the season of Advent, we've been looking at Christmas slash Advent from a variety of different perspectives in Scripture. Not all of those perspectives uh, are complementary. In fact, some of them show uh, some real signs of doubt and fear and anxiety. Uh, We've talked about Christmas from the view of the skeptic, uh, John the Baptist's father. Uh, was a guy who was very skeptical that God could actually pull off what he said he was going to do. We looked at Christmas through the eyes of the marginalized. We looked at Mary, who was a very, very poor young woman uh, from a very, you know, very poor background. Uh, and yet we learned through that experience that God cares for everybody, regardless of socioeconomic standing, regardless of, of anything. God, God's bringing this message of salvation to all peoples. We looked at the question of Christmas and Advent through the lens of the faithful. We observed the Magi and their journey. And then last Sunday, a couple days ago, uh, we looked at King Herod uh, and we considered Advent through the lens of the self-obsessed. And uh, one of the takeaways from that uh, lesson was that maybe we're a little bit closer to Herod than we would like to admit, that we can tend to be self-centered at the expense of others. So uh, this afternoon or this evening as we wrap this up, uh, as I thought about the sermon series, I thought, you know, the one person we really need to gain their perspective from is the Messiah. What is Advent, what is Christmas through the lens of the Lord Jesus himself? Uh, In order to tackle this, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at a passage of scripture, not in the Gospels, we're going to leave the Gospels, we're going to go to Philippians, where Paul is writing to a group of brand new Christians. They've only been Christians for maybe a year or two. And he's talking to them about what this gift that Jesus has brought means to them and how it should impact their lives. And so I think in this passage, we're going to learn a little bit uh, about how Jesus uh, observes what we would consider uh, Christmas and what that impact should be. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, hear the word of God. It'll be on the screen. It's already on the screen. Here we go. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now Paul's going to switch gears and he's going to stop talking to them about them and he's going to start talking about Jesus. So he talks about Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we uh, come together this afternoon on a warm Christmas Eve, a bit of a surprise for us uh, after the last snowstorm. Uh, but Lord, it is good to uh, have all the shopping behind us, uh, to have all the busyness maybe slow down for uh, a few moments, and to center ourselves on your word and on your worship. 
Father, thank you for the songs that we have sung and uh, the lyrics to those songs that remind us uh, of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords who has come to redeem us. And now, Father, as we spend a few minutes looking at what Advent means uh, to the Messiah, we pray that you would teach us. Pray that you would allow us to worship you with our minds, with our, with our thoughts, with our reason. Father, I pray that you would forgive any sin in my heart that would keep us from learning what you want to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Advent, Christmas, however you want to word it, for the Messiah, what does that mean? Well, I think it meant sacrificing everything in order to give humanity the greatest gift ever. So we want to kind of look at this in a, in a couple of different ways. We want to ask three basic questions this afternoon. The first is, what is the gift that the Messiah gave? The second question is, at what cost did the Messiah give that gift? And then the third question is, well, was it worth it? Now, when you think about Christmas, you think about tomorrow morning or the, this evening, you know, some folks open on Christmas Eve, some folks open tomorrow morning, whatever your practice is, uh, hopefully that your day, your evening, there's going to be some joy there's going to be some excitement. You hope that, that the gift givers got it right. You hope that Santa brings you uh, the gift that you are hoping for. Is a picture of a young one who looks to be pretty excited about having a dinosaur. It uh, looks like Santa got that one right. And, and so the day, the evening is filled with some amount of excitement, some amount of love and joyfulness, unless maybe perhaps Santa gets it wrong. And then maybe you have a little bit different disposition uh, on, on Christmas. But, but be that as it may, uh, it's still supposed to be a time that, that's filled with joy. Now, I, I'm a little concerned about Santa making it tonight because I've got a picture I'm going to show you of him lounging around last week. There he is on a, on a boat in Southern California hanging out with four of my grandchildren. I don't know how you get a day off before Christmas if you're Santa Claus, but hopefully he'll rebound and he'll show up and everything will go well. But what about this gift that the Messiah gives? Is it really that significant? Is it really that important? Or is what we're doing just kind of what we do because it's tradition? And it's kind of what we do before we go on with the rest of our family time. I think what Paul would have us understand today is that this is the most important gift you can ever consider receiving in your life. So let's talk for a moment about the actual gift. If you look at verse 5, Paul says this, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and he's talking about you, if you're a disciple, if you're a believer, by faith, you are in Christ Jesus, which means your identity is now completely locked with his. That when God the Father looks at you, if you have faith in Christ, what he sees in you is the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus. So you're not separated, you're actually coming together as one in Christ. Paul puts it this way in a different letter he writes. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. So this union is the gift that Christ gives us. We're going to pull it apart and look at a couple things about it, but it's important that we understand that what Jesus is looking at here, when he looks at his gift to us, it's union together. So last Saturday, I did a wedding. Uh, I had the opportunity to officiate a wedding. I get to do that quite often in my lifetime. And we were down at the uh, Jewel Box in Forest Park. And we had a wonderful uh, time. And every time I perform a wedding ceremony, I always keep some Kleenex in my pocket. Now, not trying to be sexist. This is strictly driven by data. More often than not, 
the bride cries and not the groom. And more often than not, the groom is already showing his proclivity towards insensitivity, and he's forgotten to put some Kleenex in his pocket for his bride. So I just happen to kind of be there, and if she starts sniffling, I kind of hand it to her, and, and we can continue on. So I'm marrying Wheeler and Eleanor. And they get up front, and we welcome everybody. We have the prayer, and we talk, do the question of intent, and now we're going to exchange vows. And I look at Wheeler, and I say, Wheeler, would you repeat after me? I, Wheeler, take you, Eleanor, to be my wedded wife. I, I Wheeler. And he just falls apart. <laughs> he can't get the words out. And I said, Wheeler, it's okay. Look, I got them written down right here. So if you forget them, we'll, we'll get through it. But, and I said, Wheeler, do you have a handkerchief? So I handed Wheeler my cleanest. She starts laughing, which I thought was just... <laughs> absolutely precious and worth the price of admission altogether. But why was, why was Wheeler choking up? Because he understood the profound moment he was standing in. He understood that, that this was about two people coming together as one, and, and their identity is now completely locked together. Yeah, sure, they're still individuals. You're still an individual, but as a disciple, you now belong to Christ. You are in Christ. That's the gift that he gives you, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God isn't even going to allow that to stand in the way of you and I receiving this gift today. So as we come to Christ in faith, we're now united with the Messiah, perfect relationship and perfect love, which leads, this union leads to a new way of thinking. Going back to verse 5, Paul says this, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says, now that you belong to Jesus, you're going to start thinking a different way. The way you thought before is, is old news, and the way you're thinking now is going to be new, and it's going to be informed, and it's going to ultimately be controlled by this relationship with Christ. So there's going to be a new way of thinking. There's going to be a new way of looking at the world, so to speak, which is going to lead you to a new way of living. So if you go to the first three verses in this chapter, Paul talks about a variety of different things that ought to be evident in the lives of people who have received the gift of the Messiah. Things like encouragement. We should be a people, if we've been, if we've been in union with, with the Messiah, that ought to be something that abounds in our relationship with one another. Offering comfort based on love. If the Holy Spirit is controlling our life, there ought to be affection and genuine sympathy for others. We ought to set aside the notion of I'm going to live for myself and get everything I can get as quickly as I can and as much as I can, and I don't care if you don't get anything at all. We're going to set that aside, and we're not going to do anything at all out of selfish ambition or conceit. We're actually going to do the opposite. We're going to embrace humility we're going to welcome that into our lives as, a, as part of our character that God gives us through this union, and we're going to look at other people as more significant than ourselves. That's the gift that the Messiah gives. It's union with Christ, which leads to a new way of thinking or a new way of living. And here's how Mr. Rogers put it, because you've got you to have a quote from Mr. Rogers every once in a while. If you haven't seen the new Mr. Rogers movie, I haven't seen it yet, either, but I've had several friends tell me it's amazing. But I don't know if you knew this, but Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. He was a disciple of Jesus. And he kind of took this passage out of Philippians, and he put it this way. Mutual caring relationships require kindness, patience, tolerance, optimism, joy in others' achievements, confidence in oneself, and the ability to give without undue thought of gain. Wouldn't you like to live in that neighborhood? <laughs> to steal a phrase? That's supposed to be the community of believers. Why? 
Because we're smart, we figured it out? No, because the gift that the Messiah gives of himself. It's the greatest gift humanity could ever receive. Well, what's the cost of that gift to the Messiah? So years ago, when our two older kids, Katie and Nate, were in high school, uh, and there were four of us in our house that had driver's licenses, and there were two cars. And you do the math, and if you have teenagers right now, or you've been in that experience, or you are a teenager trying to get your hands on the, on the keys to the car when you're trying to you know, figure out everybody's schedule, it could be maddening. So I went to the local car dealership, and I said to the guy I do, I do business with, I have $200 a month, and I want to be clear about this. I don't have $200.48 a month. I have $200 a month, and I need something that my two high school children can drive that, you know, won't go very fast, and, and they, they really can't hurt themselves or anybody else that badly. And he got me for $199.97 a month. I saved three cents a month. He got me a Mitsubishi Galant. Anybody here ever owned a Mitsubishi Galant? Going down a, you, you will know this is true, going down a 45-degree hill with an 80-mile-an-hour wind at your back, that car won't go more than 50 miles an hour. They can't, right? They, you can't hurt yourself in a Mitsubishi Galant. You could run into a telephone pole. You could walk away. You can't hurt yourself in this car. So that was a huge blessing, and it, was, and it was within my budget. But I had to sacrifice to get the kids that car. And it was a hunter green. It was like the color of these. And, and we got it for them for Christmas. We put a red bow on it. We parked it in the neighbor's driveway. And I kept saying the whole morning, isn't it cool if the neighbor's got a new car? And that somebody's going to have a lot of fun. And finally, they got around to opening the smallest package because they wanted to open the big ones first. But the smallest package had the best thing in it, right? It had the key. And then Katie's dancing around the house. I, I know you were dancing around the house. I remember watching you dance around the house. This streaming's going to be fun. And, uh, <laughs> and Nate's the calm one. Nate's like, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But it cost me something to do that. It cost me 200, almost $200 a month plus a little bit of insurance on the side, plus a little gas money every now and then. That was, in those days, that was actually a pretty big sacrifice. Maybe I could say to the Messiah, you know, I kind of know what it means to sacrifice. I, I kind of know what it means for you to, to make that gift. Well, let's look at what the Messiah sacrificed compared to Tom's Mitsubishi Galant. In chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that's saying is that Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal. Jesus is eternal. He was not born in Bethlehem and it came into existence. He was a pre-existing God of gods, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he wasn't worried about the titles. He set them all aside. He didn't come to earth and become a king here on earth. He came and he was a peasant. He was a carpenter by trade. He was an itinerant preacher that, that people would give offerings to him so he could go buy his dinner somewhere. Jesus said, foxes have holes in the ground. Birds have nests. I don't have any place to lay my head at night. Jesus set all that aside. He said, it doesn't, identity, titles, all that doesn't mean a thing if it keeps me from giving this gift. Secondly, if you look at verse 7, it says this. He did not consider equality got a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of of a servant. He gave up all glory not to come here to earth again to be to be royal or to be rich or to be affluent. He came here to be a servant. Think about this. Not like serving occasionally. Um, a lot of us have been on the Homes of Hope trip, and it's a wonderful trip. We go and we serve for about three days, and we help somebody build a home that they're going to live in. That's a remarkable experience, but it's a three-day deal, and then we come back home and, and we go back to our lives. Think about people that serve every day. Think about people that give of themselves every day, all the time, and that's their position in life. It's not going to change. 
They're not going to stop serving. That's what they've been called to. Jesus became not just human, but he became a servant so he could give this gift. Thirdly, he intentionally gave away his authority. Look at verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. What Jesus said is basically, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. In order for Jesus to give this gift, he had to completely trust his Father, even when his Father said there's no way around the cross, the only way is to go through it. The only way this is going to happen is if you die so that these people who are dead in their trespasses can have life. And Jesus said it's worth the cost. And so verse 8 finishes up by this. He endured death to the point of death, even death on a cross. Where Jesus went to endure that in order to give life makes my car gift look absolutely ridiculous. you, You can't even begin to compare them. And no matter what gift you've ever given to anybody, I don't care how many how big endowment you've given to a college, if you, if you have the ability to do that, it pales in comparison. And Jesus said it's, it, it's worth the cost. That's the cost I'm going to pay it, which brings me to my third observation here. It's a gift well given. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That language there is language of salvation and it's language of triumph. God the Father seats Jesus at his right hand and he says everybody's going to bend the knee and everybody's going to worship you. Why? Because it was a gift well given. It's accomplishing what we set it out to accomplish, which is the salvation of the souls of men and women and boys and girls in every generation. The way the prophet Isaiah puts it is this way. When he's looking forward Uh, Several hundred years before Jesus comes, Isaiah says this, talking about the one who would be Messiah. Uh, When his soul makes an offering for sin, he's, he's foretelling the cross. He shall see his offspring, that's you and me. And he shall prolong his days. He will will rise again and live forever. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. He will be triumphant out of the anguish of his soul. So think of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm, and I'm doing that in a polite way and not screaming it out the way it should be to really trying to get our minds around it. He's, he's in anguish, but out of that anguish, he shall see what? He'll see the salvation that he's giving to you and the salvation that he's giving to me, and he will be satisfied. That's a great word. I love that word. Satisfied means you don't need anything else. It's complete. It's perfect. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need to take anything away from it. I want to show you a picture of a person giving another person a gift. And this is a, this is a special gift. If you look at that picture carefully, uh, th- this is no small gift, right? Uh, there's a car that goes with those keys. And I want you to look for a second at the face of the recipient. How excited is she to receive uh, this car? Clearly, she's excited. Is she not? But look at the smile on the face. I don't know if it's boyfriend or husband uh, probably not brother, <laughs> probably husband. Let's go, let's go with husband. How excited is he to give the gift? Probably just as excited as she is to get it. There's something about knowing that the gift you give is well given that is very satisfying. And you know when Jesus is satisfied? It's when he looks at those who have come to him in faith. So if that defines you today, I'm talking to you. Not me, Jesus is talking to you. When Jesus looks at you, he is completely satisfied. There's a gift well given. 
Some of us wrestle so much with shame and, and with anxiety that we have a hard time believing it, but it's absolutely true. Jesus gives a gift of union that brings us into a new way of thinking and a new way of living. He gives it at a cost that's almost unmentionable, but it is a gift well given. That's why we say Advent for the Messiah sacrificing everything in order to give humanity the greatest gift ever. The only other question that really remains to be asked and answered is, have you made that gift your own for yourself today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Messiah, baby in a manger, the one who emptied himself, took on the form of humanity and all of its limitations and all of its pain. You never ceased to be God, but you became completely human in order that you could give a gift that we can't even begin to celebrate appropriately. But Lord Jesus, we do bless your name this afternoon. We thank you that the cost was not too much for you to bear. And this gift well given is received by faith. So Lord Jesus, grow in our hearts that faith. For some, Lord, create that faith new today. It's not there right now. I pray, Lord, that someone would hear this passage of Scripture and say, that's, that's a gift given for me. I want to embrace that. I want to receive it. I want to accept it. And Lord, for those of us that, that have already put our faith in you, may we be encouraged and strengthened and challenged to grow in that faith. That new way of thinking, that new way of living, Lord, it needs to take more control over our lives. So we pray that that gift would have that impact in our lives to your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.